So glad that all of you are here today. Grab your notes, grab your pens. We're in a new series called Legacy. This is part two of the series. And before we jump in, can we just say a word of prayer and just bless our time together? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your love. And Jesus, I thank you for hope for our tomorrow. And I pray that in the next few moments, you encourage somebody's heart. Lord, I don't know what we've come in with today, but Lord, you do. And you're a comforter, you're a healer, you're a savior. And we absolutely love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Come on, somebody say good amen. Hey, listen, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something before and you hurt yourself in a way that left a mark permanently on your body for the rest of your life? Is there anybody in the room that knows what I'm talking about? Like, you, you have a scar to prove something that you've done. Well, here's what I did. One of them, many times, was in junior high, eighth grade. Eighth grade, PE class in the boys' locker room. Which, by the way, why does every boys' locker room smell the same? It doesn't matter Different boys, different clothes. You walk into any locker room in America, it still smells like beef and cheese. Just nasty, nasty, burnt broccoli. I don't know what it is. And here's why. Here's why. Because those boys haven't washed those clothes in nine months. Come on, mom, say a good amen. You've never seen their PE clothes. <laughs> you just, you didn't even know they had them. And don't you let those boys fold them because if you, if you try to crease those, they will crack and turn to dust. They're nasty clothes. So we walk into the boys' locker room, smells, and they bring the girls in because we're not changing today. We're having a class in the locker room. And you got to love teachers, man. Let's clap our hands for all the teachers. Appreciate the teachers in the house. That's a tough job. So they're going to have a meeting, just a meeting about PE. And so I jump uh, in the room, and everybody else is in the room. And a guy, he jumps on a weight bench and starts dancing. Like he just jumps on there. He's like, what's up? He's like, hey, and everybody's laughing at him. And then a, a thought occurred to me, and how many know when you're in eighth grade, every idea seems like a good idea at the time. So I decide I'm going to pants him. You're like, you're our pastor. I know. It was funny at the time. And he's wearing two pairs of pants, so two pairs of shorts, I should say. So I knew I'm just going to take the outer shorts down. He'll still have the inward shorts on. It's going to be funny. Everybody's going to laugh. So I sneak up behind him. He's dancing. What's up? And I come by, and I pants the outer layer, and it scares him, and everybody starts laughing at him. Well, I didn't realize in my peripheral vision that there is a squatting bar about the same height as my head. So as I turn, I run right into the bar like, <laughs> and I go down. I mean, it hit me hard. Anytime you wrestle with a weight bench or a bar, you lose. I go down. I'm like, man, down. I, it hurt me so bad. To this day, I still have an indention in my skull. I can feel the circle. I need you to, I need you to help communicate my sermon title to somebody. Turn and tell somebody, that's going to leave a mark. Come on, tell them, that'll leave a mark. I had this circle on my forehead, bleeding on the ground. Everybody's now laughing at me, and guess what? The next day was picture day. And you can't take retakes and you take, unless you take the first take. So here I am. I was so mad. You can imagine my, 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 my picture that next day. Big old circle. Everybody's laughing, and I'm just like this in the picture. Mm, I don't want to be here, but I keep, my mama said I have to come, you know. Just embarrassing. Here's what I realized. Every one of us want to leave a mark in life. Not like that, but a lasting impression. Here's what I know for sure. 
Every one of us, we wake up every morning and we ask ourselves three questions. Whether directly or indirectly, we ask ourselves, write this down, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? We think about, what's my purpose? Do I have a purpose? Here's the scary thing. 87% of people who actually go to church, they don't know their purpose. Now, what about the rest of the world? So here we are. Most people have no idea what their purpose is, and they're asking the question repeatedly. They're searching for that. Well, God never meant for you to spend your whole life searching for purpose. He's hoping that at one point you actually found it so you could spend a part of your life actually doing it. And number two, we ask ourselves, does my life matter? What's my purpose, and does my life even matter? Am I valued? Do you know that there are more suicides between Thanksgiving and Christmas than the rest of the year combined? Because people are now looking at their problems in a different way, and they're struggling, and they're feeling like their life has no purpose and that their life doesn't matter. Let me communicate very clear to everyone listening here and online. Your life does matter. Please don't you dare take that bad decision to take your life during this season. Your life matters to God. It matters to us. Come on, you were born for purpose, with a purpose, to make a difference for eternal life in the lives of other people. Come on, do you believe that today? What's my purpose? Does my life matter? Do I have value in my life? And the third one is, will I ever do anything significant? Will I ever do anything significant? We look at other people who do things of significance, and we get a little jealous. We're like, man, I, I can, I'll never do anything that really makes a mark on eternity. What's crazy is that this generation has several desires, and one of the top desires of this generation is to be famous. Because here's the confusion around significance. We feel like if we can... If we can get fame, then we'll find significance. But it's not true because we know a lot of famous people who hate themselves, who are empty and still searching for this because fame doesn't bring significance. Only God brings significance. He's the only one who can bring that. Now, we want to help you find this in your life. So we do four things at our church. We don't do a lot of things. We simplified several years ago. We do four things, and we do them really, really well. Number one, we want you to know God. We want you to know God, and that comes through Sundays. Sundays are the day that people are introduced to God. And that's why church cannot be all about church people. It's got to be about everybody who walks in the door, that everybody can get something no matter where they are. How selfish of us to create a worship experience that's just for church people. So we want you to know God, but watch this. We don't want you just to know about him. We want you to know him personally for yourself. Not just know him mentally. I want you to know him, like really know him. And then there's got to be a place where you can work through your issues, like work through your yesterdays. And you're not going to do that in front of everybody. I promise you. It's much, much better to do that in a small group setting where you can find freedom. We want you to find freedom. That's through small groups. We probably have, I don't know, 300 small groups or so that gather. And this is in relationship. So James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another and you can be healed. There's a healing that comes when you get involved in people's lives and you're open. But I can't trust you unless I know you. And you're not going to trust other people unless you're doing a life with them. So get in a small group or lead a small group. And I'm telling you what, man, freedom comes. As a matter of fact, we just had our freedom conference Friday and Saturday yesterday, and it was incredible. Some of you are like, well, how come I didn't hear about it? Because we didn't tell you. <laughs> You have to go through the freedom small groups. We had 41 small groups that just focus on freedom. 
13 weeks of God transforming your mind through the Word of God so that in two days God can transform your soul. And he did something so incredible. It's going to change people's lives forever. Thank you, Dream Team, for making that conference available. And you can join the Freedom Small Groups next semester starting in February. And honestly, the truth is a lot of you should step up and lead a small group. We have small group trainings that we're going to be telling you about, and we want to help you make a difference in people's lives because you just might be the answer to somebody else's prayer. So we're not a church that does small groups. We're a church of small groups. We literally expect everybody to be in one. That's how we pastor people. And then there's, there's not just a place where you can know God and find freedom. you got to go beyond that. A lot of people spend their whole life working on their own issues. Like, hey, you know what, I'm just going to work on me. Don't expect too much out of me yet. I'm just going to work on me for a while. And the problem is we've been saying that for years. God never wants you just to work on your issues all your life. He wants you to know why you're here, to discover purpose. Two great days in your life. The day you were born, happy birthday to you. It's great. Here's a greater day. The greater day is when you discover why you were born. You were all born, but that doesn't mean that you're really living. You really begin to live when you connect to your God-given purpose and design. Give us four weeks. We'll help you discover some of that. It's, it's through our growth track. So we want you to discover purpose through the growth track. The growth track is four Sundays, four weeks, four classes. And if the next time that you could join the church and go through the growth track is January the 7th. How amazing would it be to start off the year right by joining the church and saying, I'm going all in with God. Amen, everybody. So we want you to help, help you discover that just so that you could do the ultimate thing, and that is number four, make a difference. Make a difference, and that is joining the dream team. Jump on the team. Begin to serve somewhere because this is when your life really begins to make sense. And every one of you were created to leave a mark in, on earth. Every one of you has a destiny. And this message is really going to help you today because, check it out, your life matters. But your life will never make sense or be fulfilled until you live it in such a way that you're living it for others. You're making a difference in other people's lives. And you got to define what your life is all about. And that's what makes this day so meaningful because today is Legacy Sunday. We're going to talk about what God has done through us and what we can still do in the future based on the generosity of people. And we are not surprising you with this. We literally have been telling you about this for about six weeks now. And we're going to take an offering at the end of service. Some of you might want to prepare for that. And we're going to give it all away. It's going to be so fun. Because here's what we do. We're going to give it away to four different areas, and I'm going to tell you where we're giving it. Why? Why are we doing this? Because we want to leave a mark. We want to leave a legacy. And we don't believe that God has blessed us just for us. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, now there's a lot that we could do, but we only advance and, and we expand at the speed of your generosity. So as you give, we're able to do more. There's a lot of stuff that we want to do, but we only do those things as it comes in. How many are grateful that we don't overcommit you as a church? Like, as it comes in, we'll do more. And there's a lot of things like, I'm fine. If we never do them, I'm fine with that. But you guys get to determine how fast we grow. You get to determine what we get to do and the type of legacy that we get to leave. Let me give you the four areas so that you know where the money's going today. Four lanes or four areas that we're giving to. Number one is local missions. That's the Bay Area. That's this city that we believe that we're primarily called to this area first. Now, in every year, there's specific seasons that carry with it greater opportunity to reach people with the message of hope and healing. 
And one of the greatest ways that we could do this is coming up 11 more days before our Christmas services. Can you believe we're going to have 10 Christmas services in 11 days, December 21st through the 24th. And we're giving you all cards on your chair. And listen, listen, 10 experiences for people to experience hope and healing. Do you know how many seats that is? That's 10,000 seats, 10,000 opportunities for you to bring your friends to Christ and invite them to church, and you never know who's one invitation away. Statistically, 80% of people said they would come to church if they were just personally invited. So let's do our part. Let's pack this place out 10 times over. And here's what I want to offer you today. We want to offer you priority seating. Here's what that means. If you go to our website, thefellowshipchurch.com, thefellowshipchurch.com, go there today, and you'll see a link to reserve a, prior, a ticket for priority seating. They're free, but we're just doing this to kind of control seating so there's not 3,000 people that come to one service and there's no way they're getting in. So we'll provide you with priority seating. And here's what priority seating means. It means that we, you get to get let in early, but we open up the doors for everybody who stands in the walk-up line at 10 minutes before the service. So these tickets for priority seating do not mean that you have a seat reserved. When you roll in 20 minutes late, you're like, I got my ticket, where's my seat? It ain't working like that, <laughs> okay? So we want to just give you an opportunity to get here early, find your seat. Ten minutes before, we open up the seats for everybody to show up. And you don't want to miss the opener. Man, this opener is the coolest opener we've ever done. It's going to be incredible. And it's a candlelight service, so at the end of service, we all light our candles, turn the lights off, and sing Silent Night. It's, it is a special, special moment. But that's an opportunity. Don't just come alone. Who could you bring? Start to think about that because this is part of local missions. Here's another calendar item. We're going to start a fast, 21 days of prayer and fasting, January the 7th through the 28th. We want to help you with resources after, the new, after Christmas. We'll give you fasting resources, and we'll help you kind of teach you how to do this and what that looks like. But honestly, there's different types of fast. Don't freak out. And we're going to have 6 a.m. prayer Monday through Friday during that, day, that, that time so we can just give the first part of the year to God. Amen, everybody. Here's locally. Locally, here's what you've, you've been a part of. We're serving the city. We have a small group that's been, been feeding the homeless for a long time. And we don't just feed them. We tell them about hope and healing in Jesus. And then this Thanksgiving, this church, because of your generosity, we went and knocked on doors of a few apartment complexes in our cities, and we showed up with Thanksgiving dinners. I mean, we just said, hey, God bless you. No strings attached. Can we bless you with a Thanksgiving turkey? Can we give you those fresh Hawaiian rolls? How many thank God for Hawaiian rolls? And then the stuffing and the gravy and the beans and the potato, everything you need to make Thanksgiving dinner. We gave it away, and several people cried and said, we would not have had Thanksgiving dinner had it not been for your church. One lady came up to me. She said, Sean, you've been feeding our family for the last five years Thanksgiving dinner. We would not have, have it, had had it if you didn't show up. She and her three kids were there crying, loving on us, saying thank you. She's come to our church now. She's gone through growth track. She's on the dream team. How many know that's worth a Thanksgiving dinner? Just loving people to Jesus. But there's so much more that we can do together. And, and literally, we have vetted several ministry partners around the Bay Area, and they don't know we're coming. And we're going to come this week 
depending on what comes in today, and we're writing some fat checks. I mean some fat checks. And we're just showing up saying, God bless you to orphanages. God bless you to homeless shelters. God bless you to feeding programs. Thank you for doing what you do in the name of Jesus Christ. On behalf of your fellowship family, we just want to say Merry Christmas. And they lose it, man. They start crying. It's going to be a great, great day. And next week, you don't want to miss it because we'll show a recap video of what we did here locally. That's locally. Number two, we give to national missions. First is local missions, then national missions. How many by show of hands think America needs some help? Right? America needs some help. The government can't fix the problems that we have. I believe the best way to reach America is to plant more life-giving churches. So get ready to clap because I'm giving you some statistics. I'm talking like a micro-machine man right now because there's so much stuff. But listen, through the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, this year, in the last 12 months, you, because of your generosity, have helped to plant 120 brand-new churches in America. That's 120 churches, 120 cities that now have a life-giving church pointing people to freedom in Christ. And not just starting new churches, we're resourcing existing ones. We had a conference here where 500 pastors came from all around the nation and some flew in from around the countries just to be trained in growth track, dream team, small groups, all this stuff, and we give it all away. Why? Because we believe in investing in America. We want to help resource them. And we sponsored a lot of these pastors because a lot of the pastors who need it most, they can't even afford to come. So you, by blessing the leaders, they go back and bless hundreds and even thousands of people with their leadership to reach more people with the love of God. And out of the 120 pastors that are there, listen, we're picking five of them this year. They don't know it. We're picking five of them, and we're going to bless them each with a $1,000 check just to give gifts to their family. Because I remember when we planted this church, my wife and I have dumped everything we had into it. We don't talk about this so much, but I'm just saying, we dumped everything we had, all of our money into starting the church, and that first Christmas was tight. And I know these past, I know the sacrifice. They've given up everything else. They're saying, I'm all going all in on a dream to build a life-giving church in this city, and we're sending them a $1,000 check and saying, you're not allowed to spend it on the church. You have to spend it on your family. I'm just telling you, this is another way to encourage pastors. But that's not it. We do more. International missions. There's local missions, national missions, and then international missions. This is other countries. Because the Bible says that God so loved the world. Listen to me. I know sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. If you love God, you need to love what he loves, and he loves the entire planet. He loves the world. And so we want to bless the world, and I believe we do that by planting more life-giving churches, we also are supporting several different organizations for helping children with One Child Matters, other organizations that are helping feed children and get the Bible in children's hands. And here's a great one, A21 is a great campaign. Christine Kane was here exactly a year ago, and you got to get ready to clap again. Because of your generosity, are you ready for this? This year, in the last 12 months, you have helped rescue 174 slaves. I'm talking about people who, have, who are stuck in drug trafficking, sex trafficking, and they have been freed because of your generosity. Slavery still exists. And if you don't believe it, let me introduce you to 174 people who have gone through a living hell, and now we're pointing them to Jesus Christ. Nick Kane just texted me last night and said, listen, Sean, there's a girl we just rescued. She was kidnapped at the age 14. 
She's now 16 years old. She spent two years being a sex slave. She's been raped by over 40 people. And we, we were able to race in there, rescue her. Now we're restoring her, pointing her to freedom in Jesus Christ. Listen, I think that's something to get excited about. It's because of what you do. And 97% of the missions dollar that comes from America to other countries, 97% of that actually goes to other countries that have already heard the gospel. So this year we're focusing on the 3% that have not heard the gospel. It's called the 1040 window. And there, it's countries like in the Middle East that you and I may never go to, but you are going there through our giving, blessing these men and women who are starting churches there and loving people to Jesus Christ. This last year we went to Nicaragua, and we had the greatest Man, experience. We had the biggest mission trip recorded in history. 2,500 of us. We had to charter 737 jets, 11 jets, just to get there. And our teams went out throughout the country with medical supplies, our medical professionals helping them out. Our teams went into almost every high school in, a, in the entire country, and then our church was responsible for one entire state and a crusade where 20,000 people showed up. I preached. Our team worked. Thousands of people gave their life to Jesus, and while we were doing that, 13 other states were doing the exact same thing. It was phenomenal. You touched another nation in one day. And listen, I went back two weeks ago to bless and have a conference with 1,400 pastors. Here's a video. We gave them everything about our, how we do Sundays. We gave them the growth track in Spanish. This is a four-tier auditorium. This is iPhone technology at its best, ladies and gentlemen. We gave them stuff about small groups. We gave them stuff about our, uh, our dream team, everything to help them resource and reach more people with the love of God. And I'm telling you, they were so, so grateful. How many think that's a good investment? So we give locally, then we give nationally, then we give internationally, and then here's the fourth lane. We want to help accelerate the vision of Fellowship Church. Some of you are like, does it need accelerating? <laughs> Sean, we're going pretty fast. Listen, as long as God keeps giving us influence and opening up more doors, we will do more services. We'll launch more campuses. We'll do anything we can to reach God's lost kids. Come on. God is God. He's a God who can shut doors that no man can open, and he opens doors that no man can shut. Just in the last year and a half, this building is a miracle because of your generosity. I don't know if you know this or not. You are part of one of the fastest growing churches in America right now. In the last year and a half, this church has grown in Sunday attendance by 3,000 people. It's not because of me. That's because of you. It's absolutely incredible. And some of you are like, well, Sean, isn't our church big enough? Listen to me. That's the wrong question to be asking. The, wrong, the right question is not, is not, hey, listen, how... How big do we need to get? Like, isn't the church big enough? Here's the right question. Who's still missing? That's the question. If you had five kids and you lost them all, you wouldn't be satisfied because you found two. You would spend your every waking moment looking for the other lost kids. And as followers of Jesus Christ and as members of Fellowship Church, we will not rest until we find every one of God's lost kids on planet Earth. Come on! Let there be an urgency set on you. Let there be a fire set in you to reach more people with the love of God and the hope and healing that Jesus Christ, he so graciously gave us. Is there anybody that's grateful we didn't stop reaching out before you got here? Man, now it's our time to pay that forward. Here's something else. I know you're like, man, is there more? There's more. In two Saturdays from now, we have a giving mall. What that is, 
is you, because of your generosity, we're giving away a 1,000 Christmas presents. Here's how we're doing it. We're putting dignity back in people receiving. Many of you on our dream team in small groups have nominated families that this would be a blessing to. So it's not open to everybody because we only have a certain amount. 250 children will be coming in with their families. And moms and dads don't have to wait in a cold line outside. Just here's a gift, here's a gift, here's a gift. They come in and we set up a mall in our lobby. Kids go to the kids area. Mom and dad go over here. We pamper them a little bit. Tell them about the love of Jesus. And then they get to shop in our mall to pick out presents for their own kids. They know their kids. They know what their kids want. And then every one of them gets a Bible on top of that. We wrap them. They go out of here. And those kids will forever remember that we had Christmas because Jesus told us we weren't forgotten through that church. Oh, my goodness, I'm so excited. I can't believe what we get to be a part of, ladies and gentlemen. And then there's random acts of kindness that you guys are doing by yourself. You take those cards that are given in the lobby that say, God loves you, no strings attached. We do a lot of these things all year long. Listen, you can accelerate it the next two weeks because people are more open to receiving right now than any other time in history. Leave a fat tip and leave a card that says, God loves you, no strings attached. Get them here to Christmas service. Do whatever you possibly can because I believe this is the greatest season for us to reach people with the love of Almighty God. Come on, can we clap our hands and say a good amen? So excited. Can you tell? And I don't even drink coffee. Hey, listen, that was all the introduction. You ready for the message? <laughs> Let me give you a short message to tell you how we do this. Psalm 112 puts it this way. Good will come to those who are generous, shout generous, and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will, be, will never be shaken, and they will be remembered forever. Love this phrase. They'll be remembered forever. Listen, we're not meant to keep everything. Do you believe that? When God blesses us, we're blessed to be a blessing. We're not meant to keep it all. But you get to determine how you live. Now, you can live a life based on Psalm 112 that is unshaken. You mean, Sean, I, I can be unshaken? Yes, you can be unshaken. I can't stop the shaking around you. But when you have Jesus at the center of your life, you can have peace in the middle of the storm. All the world might be shaking around you, and you can be unshaken on the inside. But listen, if you don't determine and define what your life is about, your problems will define it for you. Define what your life is about. Answer the three questions that we started off with. Why are you here? What are you supposed to be doing? How are you going to make a difference? Because without vision, people perish. They have no direction for their life. But with vision, you can live on purpose, for purpose, and if you don't know why you're on this planet, nothing else will make sense. And verse 6 says that a righteous man will be remembered forever. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's legacy. It's where you're living beyond yourself. You're living to something that's going to outlast you. And in the Bible, there's a guy named Moses. Everybody say Moses. Moses was a guy God used to deliver a million and a half people out of slavery in Egypt. If you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt, that's the story. And then he passed it to a guy named Josh. And Joshua was an amazing leader, but there was a problem. Because Josh said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And man, I have preached some sermons on that. You can preach the fire out of that verse. Come on, we all ought to just stop with us, but make a commitment. You and me, our house, we will serve the Lord. And everybody gets excited and shouts. And then you read a couple of chapters later a very sad verse that says, And then there arose a generation that did not know God nor the things of God. And what we realize all of a sudden is that 
That was great for Moses. It was great for Josh and his household. The problem was it stopped there and did not go down to any further generations. Every one of us, I know our heart's desire is not just to live for us, but we want to leave a mark for generations to come. And listen, I'm fifth generation pastor on both sides of my family. That's like the mafia. (laughs) I had no choice. I had to go into ministry. I'm teasing, of course. I did feel like there was a calling, but I, I felt the Lord say there's a unique calling, but there's a legacy also. And now nothing brings me greater joy than to see my daughters, this next generation, loving Jesus, worshiping God, serving, giving their life here. I, you see me sometimes in worship. I'm taking pictures of my kids worshiping and serving. Some of you are like, is that okay in worship? Yes, it's okay. Some, kids take, some parents take pictures of their other kids in soccer teams and soccer practice. I take pictures of my kids serving Jesus, worshiping God, because it, it thrills my heart. And they're serving. They've given their 15 years of their life to serve you, just like many of you are doing, and many of your kids are doing the same thing as mine. But it thrills us when we have generations loving God. I'm telling you, Psalm 112 teaches us how. Write this down. It's by giving to something that will outlive me. It's where you determine in your life, I'm going to give to something that will outlive me. Just determine that. Live intentionally. Because we give our lives away. And this is where you find a church, you find a cause, and you give your life to it. I'm not just talking money. I'm talking about your time, your talents, your resources. Yes, money is included. But this solves a lot of the, of the world's problems when it comes to individuals. Let me explain. A lot of people struggle with depression. And here's what they think in their mind. They're like, man, I'm just going to focus on me, take care of me right now, not do anything else. You typically don't get out of depression that way. Yes, see a counselor. Yes, get in a small group. But I'm telling you, something breaks inside of you when you, not, you stop just looking at yourself and you say, I'm going to spend my life serving others. Let me see how I can live for others. Let me give my life away. And the Bible says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You want your life to break in depression area? Let me just tell you, find somebody to serve. Some, find somebody to love. And God himself comes in and restores your life. Can I hear an amen for everybody who knows that's true? So we give our lives away. It's it's living a life in such a way that it makes a difference for eternity, not just here on earth. You're living your life in a way that, yes, we're going to have fun. Yes, we're going to have a a lot of laughs. We're going to laugh loud and often. But you have a life on mission. This church is on mission. There's a mandate for us to reach people with the love of God. And most of us only think about earth. But you need to think about eternity too, ladies and gentlemen, because eternity is a whole lot longer than your time on earth. And part of my job as a pastor is to prepare you for eternity. How bad of a pastor would I be if I never told you about this stuff? So Romans chapter 14, look at it in your notes. Paul is writing, he says, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, every one of us. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to whom? To God. Okay, listen. Every one of us is going to have to stand before God one day. And when that happens, you're going to really want to make sure you're on the right team. Okay, it doesn't matter which team you're on right now. But at that moment, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Every person who's ever lived and every tongue will confess, OMG, Jesus really is God. No matter what they believe, they will confess that at that moment. And I'm telling you, there's a test. 
Matter of fact, there's, two, there's a two-question test that's coming our way when we stand before God. How many hated tests growing up in school? You hated tests? How many? Come on, raise, wave at me, wave at me. How many of you loved taking tests? You loved them. All the nerds in the room. Can't still, you couldn't, like you just messing up the curve and stuff. Couldn't stay home on test day every once in a while. Made it hard for all of us. Teasing you, of course, but I remember taking tests in high school. And, and freshman year, sophomore year, it was so tough. And then they came out with scantrons. Oh, that's hard. Because you read answer A and you're like, that sounds good to me. And then you read B and you're like, well, it kind of sounds like B too. And then you read C and you're like, well, it might, it might be C. How many thank God for D all of the above? <laughs> and then your teacher at the very end, she's like, hey, listen, you got two minutes left. Two minutes on the test. <laughs> you start freaking out. Heart palpitations because you have 75 questions still to answer. You're looking at A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, and I don't know what to do. I just spell abacadabra all the way down and hope for the best. Here's what's crazy. First, first two years of high school, I didn't do good at all, man. My, my grades were bad. And then I started doing my homework. <laughs> Everything changed. I mean, from that point on, 4.0, baby, 4.0. I know. I'm, I'm surprised as you. I was like, how come nobody told me to do my homework before this? This is easy. There is a, a test coming when we stand before God. And listen to me. It's a two-question test. Today, not only am I going to give you the questions, I'm going to give you the answers. It's an open book test. I don't know exactly how God's going to phrase it, but I know for sure from Scripture, these are the two questions that we will have to answer. The first question is this. Write, write this down. What did you do with Jesus? That's the first question. That determines salvation, by the way, on earth. Because heaven and hell are realities. Where will we spend eternity? It's not being a good person. You don't get there by that. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says it, it's not by works, it's by grace. It's through faith. So sins had to be paid for. Jesus paid for our sins, and he realizes that we couldn't pay for it on, on our own. Now listen to me. Hell is not a place where God sends people he's mad at. A lot of people are like, why does God send people to hell? He's not sending people to hell that he's mad at. Hell is a place reserved for people who want to pay for their own sins. That's, that's how that works. My recommendation to you today is this, don't pay for your own sins. Jesus Christ already paid. Don't you try to pay for it by yourself. He paid for our sins. So what did you do with Jesus? And on that day, listen, on that day, there's going to be a lot of wrong answers. What did you do with Jesus? There's going to be a lot of right answers, a lot of wrong answers. The wrong answers are going to be confusing to people. Because, listen, we understand that, that truth is not relative when it comes to a lot of areas in life. You, you go to your math class, and you realize 2 plus 2 actually is 4. It's not 3. It's not 17. It's not 87. It's 4 all day long. Always has been 4. Always will be 4. It's just 4. You can't come to your math teacher and say, Matt, you know what? I feel like I aced that test. And the teacher looks at you and said, nope, you got a 57%. <laughs> no, but I really feel like I, I deserve an A. I, I feel like I deserve It doesn't matter what you feel. Your grade's not based on how you feel. It's based on what the test results are. You, in your basketball game, you say, I feel like we won that game. Nope. It, the score was 149 to 87. You lost, and you lost bad. Go Warriors. <laughs> Listen, we understand that truth is not relative in so many areas. Then we come to this area, and we're like, oh, everybody's going to get in. Everybody doesn't get in. 
It's determined based on how you answer this question. What did you do with Jesus Christ? I'm here to tell you, he gave clear instructions in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. This is not being arrogant. It's super helpful, super directional, because we're not left with vague directions. He said, this is the clear path. Follow me, I've already paid. Anybody grateful today that Jesus Christ paid a debt that you and I could never pay on our own? That's the good news. Revelation 20, this is really what is called the great white throne judgment. Paul, uh, John the Revelator said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, God, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Hey, look at me, look at me. On that day, we're going to be judged. Here's the good news. Those books, plural, have everything that we've ever done. The good news is this. You don't have to be judged by the books. Because if you place your faith in Jesus, he erases what's in the books and writes your name in the book of life. So when we come to heaven... I don't know how it's going to be like if Gabriel's up there or Peter's there checking books or whatever, but there's going to be books opened, and we're going to be judged based on the head. And they're going to be saying, hey, I don't see Diana's name in the books. And somebody else is going to tap Peter's shoulder and say, oh, that's because her name is in the book, the book of life. You don't have to be judged based on how you live down here because of the forgiveness of God. Your past can be totally and completely erased. How do you get your name in the book? It's this, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, he loves you with an undying love. And he's provided everything necessary for us to get to heaven. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, there's going to be some shock people there. Because not every one of you who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We performed miracles. We did a lot of church-related stuff. And Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. And very clearly, Jesus is not leaving this as a surprise. He's saying the word knew in the Greek means gnosko. That's the Greek word. It does not mean to know him casually or to know about him from a distance. It means that you know him in your heart, that you love him, that you're doing life with him. And he is, he's knocking. Revelation 3 talks to like believers even. He's like, guys, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any man opens, opens the door, here's my voice. I'll come in. We can have that relationship. He's made it so amazing, so um, so wonderful for us for, to come to him and say, God, I didn't just come to church and come to a building occasionally and talk about you. I loved you in my heart. The right answer is that we knew him personally. And don't, don't pay for your own sins. Let Jesus pay for you. Have you ever been out to eat with somebody? And when the bill comes, they look at you a little crazy, like they have consumed all the food without hesitation. And then the bill comes, they look at the bill, and they look at you, and they start patting themselves like, oh, man, oh, you got me, bro, you got me, you got me. They're patting up here on their chest like they keep their wallet way up here. You got me. How many have ever been like that? How many that's been you before? Come on, tell the truth. They can't pay. They don't even have any money. They don't have, they don't have the ability to pay even if they wanted to. So you pay for a bill for them. Listen, you and I 
have stood before God with all of our sin and all of our shame, and we screamed out to God, God, you got me? Because I can't pay for this by myself. And God in his infinite love and his grace and his mercy stepped out of heaven and said, I got you. I got you with all of heaven and all of heaven's resources. I have you. I'm paying for sin. Don't pay for it again. When somebody pays for you, you don't go back and wash dishes afterward. It's already been paid for. Don't feel like you have to pay for it again. Salvation is free. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, are we saved in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody ought to clap your hands and say a good amen. I want to help you today. Live intentionally. Not live on accident. Live intentionally. Here's how. Number one, write this down. I will intentionally give what I have. I will intentionally give what I have. But number two, I skipped this one. Let me go back. Number one, all you type A personalities are like, you skipped something. Let me go back. Number one is, what'd you do with Jesus? That's the first question. Here's the second question. What'd you do with what I gave you? What'd you do with what I gave you? Okay, listen, this does not determine salvation. This is after you're already in heaven, and a lot of people don't talk about this, but there is going to be a a second judgment, and there are rewards given based on how we lived with what God gave us. To whom much is given, much is required. And I want to help you with this because 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Like God is a rewarder. He is no man's debtor. He wants to give you rewards in heaven. And and he wants to give this to you. But Matthew 16, verse 27 says, For the Son of Man is coming in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to how they've lived here on the earth. What did you do with what I gave you? Were you a blessing to other people? Did you live beyond yourself? I want to bless you. We're saved by grace through faith, but then how you live your life matters because you live your life in such a way it's making a difference in other people. Let me, let me explain it this way. Before Jesus, your entire life's goal was to find Jesus so he could pay for sin. After you found Jesus, your entire life's goal is to help other people find Jesus so he could pay for their sin. Like that's the goal. We're either on this side or this side, but, that, but that's the goal. And now back to the point, I want you to... Live intentionally with this where I will intentionally give my life away. I'm going to give what I have. Listen to me. God's not asking you to give what you don't have. He's not asking you to give on credit. (laughs) He's just saying, what do you have in your hand right now? You can give some encouragement. You can give a prayer for somebody. You can tell somebody about the Lord. Some of us can be a blessing in different ways. We coach other churches and pastors because we know what it's like to feel stuck. For seven years, this church was stuck, not growing. And now that the church has grown and seen strategy, we feel a responsibility with the blessing God's given us to help as many people as possible. 2 Corinthians 9, meaning this is urgent. Watch it. This is Bible. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Because of what you give, other people are going to thank God because they have found the grace that God's given them as well. Check this out. On August 31st, 2013, the Wall Street Journal, which is not a Christian journal, by the way, they wrote an article and they discovered, they discovered, scientists discovered that when you give, there's a chemical released in your body that makes you feel good. Who put that there? Evolution didn't put that there. God put that there. 
Because he wanted you. You're never more like God than when you give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You need to know why God is blessing you. And when we give, I want to I know where, where it's going. Like, I want to give intentionally so that my generosity results in people knowing God. So we're pointing people to freedom in Christ. How do we do that? Well, become a percentage giver. We don't ever tell people to give around here. How many appreciate that? There's no compulsion. We're not twisting arms. We're not, hey, let's take a second offering. We're not doing any of that stuff. We never tell you to give around here. We just say pray, and whatever God tells you to do, do that. Anybody thankful for that? Yes. There's three of you. Praise God. <laughs> Today is Legacy Sunday. I'm not telling you to give. You don't even have to participate. But for those that want to make a difference and leave a legacy, we understand we're going to give what God's given us. We're going to be a blessing. You don't give it all away. Man, God has given some of that to you for an enjoyment. I'll show you that in the Bible in just a second. But we take pleasure in this, man. And God, he starts off, he's like, hey, as a baseline, give 10%. And I'm telling you, this is going to bless the rest of the 90. This is God's standard of giving, and it's just a way of telling him, God, you're first. You're first in my finances. We actually have a legacy team and a legacy team that gives, and they basically are people that feel like they have the gift of giving. You can join this team if you feel you have that. Where we say, Sean, uh, show us the vision of what you want to do here as a church. Here it is. And you guys get to determine how fast we do these things. Some people, want, they feel like, man, I want to, God's blessed me in business. I want to help further the kingdom. I want more people to hear about the gospel locally, nationally, around the globe. I want to support this. And that's some way that people can do that. Number two, I will intentionally serve others. So I'm going to give what I have, and then I'm going to serve people. Now listen, if this is your first day at church, just relax. Just breathe, okay? Breathe. This is a lot of information, and I want to help you, but you don't have to participate today. Just, just relax. But if you've been coming to the church for a while, you need to get involved. You need, it's time to get off the seat, jump through the growth track in January the 7th, and get on a team. Because there is no justifiable option in the New Testament for us to sit and to soak and to sour and be a part of the body of Christ. We are called to advance the kingdom in every way. In Matthew 20, verse 26 says it this way. Whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do we get involved? Go through the growth track. Give me four Sundays to help discover your purpose. Get on the dream team and start making a difference because we're preparing for growth. Number three, number three. Write this down. I will intentionally share Christ. I'm not going to just stumble into conversation. Sometimes you stumble into an invite. People ask you, where do you go to church? Or what do you do? Those are great. But sometimes we need to ask ourselves, God, how can I bring you up in conversations like this? How can I just bring the Lord? Hey, you should come to my church. People spark a conversation. I'm passing out an invite card. You need to know the thrill of what it feels like to have an unchurched person sitting next to you in a Christmas Eve service. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be a little nervous. You're going to be like, man, I hope they sing the right songs. I hope Sean is funny today. Sean, do that funny thing because my friend's here. I told him you're funny. And at the end, when I say bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand if you want to give your life to Jesus. Okay, listen, listen, listen. I give you a free pass. You can peek when that happens. Just look through your eyelashes, see if your friend raises their hand. When they do, that's the moment when you understand what this church is all about.
And that will be your favorite service, not because of the message or the songs, but because you brought someone in who was lost and hurting and broken, and they found hope and healing in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you need to know the thrill of that. So take these invite cards. Pass them out like crazy. Social media the heck out of this thing. Let's fill this place up. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul said, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we say things like, come back to God. And when we have 10,000 seats that will be available for Christmas Eve services, we're going to love people. It's going to be a life-giving service. Candlelight, great opener, great songs, great message. We'll be friendly to your friends. All this stuff is going on. But at the end of the day, we are compelling them, come to Jesus. That's the message. He's the only message we have. We don't have a self-help program. All we have is Jesus. And he's enough. He's changed our life, everybody. You should have seen us before Jesus. You should have seen how we were plagued with depression. You should have seen the amount of people on drugs and alcohol and addicted to all kinds of substances. You should have seen us before Christ came in and washed us clean. And we haven't arrived yet. We don't have our entire act together, but one thing we do know, we are loved. We are a child of God. He has changed us completely, and we will spend the rest of our days telling other people about the grace that we've received. Come on, is there anybody that's grateful today? And now God is using us. We make our appeal to say, come back to God. Luke chapter 14, verse 23 says, Go out into the country lanes, out behind the hedges, urge anyone you can find, so that my house would be full. Jesus isn't happy with a half house. He wants his house to be full. On Christmas services, let this place be full. Jesus, fill it up ten times over with people far from you so we can point them to freedom in Christ. We're going to do our part to go out to every place that we possibly can think. Nobody is too far that the long arm of the Lord can't reach down right where they are and love them to Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. This is written to a pastor. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Like you can have some of this for your enjoyment. I'm not telling you give everything away. Enjoy some of it. Don't feel guilty about that. But then command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. And in this way, you'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Wait a second. There's a present age and a coming age? Yep. And I would highly invest my resources into the coming age more than the present age because that will take hold of life that is truly 